was one of those worship sessions. I, I don't know, for me, it was a, your God is moving. And it's often, we come and we look to God and we worship Him, but then He says, okay, as you come into my presence, I want to change you. As you come into my presence, I want to change you. So Father, would you come and change us this morning? Oh Lord. Lord, thank you that you, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to, to work in us and to make us become more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak to us, you would move amongst us, you would convict individuals, Lord, that you would, you would touch on that one thing in our hearts that we don't want to be touched on, Lord. Would you come and touch on that thing? Because we want to look like you, Lord. Amen. So just doing a sound thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually have a PowerPoint for, for this preach, I know. Yeah, PowerPoint. Um, so, um, Mo, you can put that PowerPoint on. I made it myself. Or I, 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 took, a, I took a template myself and I <laughs> made it my own. Um, and it's, it's something that I've been feeling for quite a while, and just even you know, Andrew and the rest of the leaders, it's like the, one of the challenges with our generation is we are quite Bible illiterate. Like we literally don't know what a lot of words mean in the Bible, right? So, and one of the things I've, I've been wanting to do more is to take certain words and do a Bible word study, like big Bible words. And what do they mean? Like, I mean, I'm speaking of words like justification, glorification, sanctification, all the other Asians. Right? I mean, it's all, I'm, I'm sure most of you don't know what all three of those words mean. Right? And then, you, you kind of have an idea, like justification, something about justice, so, you know, something like that, or um, repentance, you know, conviction, especially because English is not a lot of our first languages. Not just Afrikaans, guys. You know, it's your, not your first language as well. So I know reading the Bible, I've got an English Bible, and I read it sometimes, and I go like, what are these words? What do they mean? I have no idea. And the challenge is if you go and Google something, Google would often give you a wrong or a, a semi-dodge translation of some of these words. Like the one word that we'll be looking at this morning. And I want to be looking at repentance. The word study on repentance. I'm quite excited for it. Um, the, the, my, my heart's to be teaching on repentance this morning. But they're not to great repentance, but let's repent. Now you might be asking, okay, but Paul, why do you want to be preaching on repentance? It's such a, quite a strange thing. And the reason I want to do it is because when I say repentance, a lot of people go like, oh, that's no, not repentance. But repentance is a good thing. Repentance is something, if you really know what repentance is and what it means, you'll be running towards it. You'll be going like, yes, I can repent. And like your prayer would be, Lord, help me repent. I want to repent. This is a good thing. We would be celebrating repentance. But nowadays, all you hear in preachers is, man, God loves you. And it's great. God does love you. I think, who is it? I think it was Augustine or someone that says, the greatest idol, and it was just like a hundred years ago or something. The greatest idol in the church today is God's love. You're thinking like, yo. Now, hear me out. God does love you. And he showed it by sending Jesus to the cross for you. And everything he does is because he loves you. But if we don't 
all that these type of intentions, we get weird and we get comfortable with sin. Like I said, once you understand repentance, you will run to it. So I want you to see that's a good thing. I'm not sure if I was going to do this, but do this. Look to the person next to you and tell them, repentance is a good thing. <laughs> and now look to the other person and say, I repent for not turning to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. And now look to the first person again and say, I'm not actually sure what repentance means. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah? Okay, uh, unless those of you that know what it means. <laughs> okay. So if you're anything like me, the first year, year or two, year, first 10 years maybe of your Christian walk, repentance was a word that you use. And I know repentance means it's when I kind of did something wrong and I feel sorry. So I know repentance is to do with something happened that shouldn't have happened. And now I know I need to repent. Whatever repentance means. But we need to look at, let's look specifically. So repentance in the Greek, right? If you, uh, let me say this. If you're going to go Google repentance, you'll see it says feeling remorse. Google the Oxford Dictionary says feeling remorse or feeling bad. So I, I did something bad and I feel bad about it. But that's not repentance. Because if you think of it, that means if God calls us to repent, he basically says this. I want you all to feel bad. <laughs> you sin, so feel bad. <laughs> okay? That's, that's the point. If your idea of repentance is only feeling bad, then, like, that's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve says, doesn't just want you to feel bad willy-nilly. But there's a point to these things. Anyway, let's look at the Greek. The Greek for repentance is metanoia. And then you get other, like, forms of it. it, it you, we see it about 56 times just in the New Testament. You, you would think maybe once or twice Jesus or one of the apostles says, repent. 56 times. Repent is a verb. It's something that you do, if you were wondering. Verb is the right word, right? Werkwoord. It's a werkwoord. Repentance is something that you do. So 56 times we are told to repent, or we see someone repenting. That's actually quite a lot. Think of it. It's like almost, almost two per book in the New Testament alone. You're thinking, can't you just chill on this whole repentance thing, Bible? And it means to change one's mind. And most, most people that you find on YouTube would say something around the lines of this. Repentance means to change your mind. So all you need to do is when you feel bad is you need to repent from feeling bad and just know God loves you again. Because they say, well, you need to repent, so just change your mind. And I'm thinking, that's firstly not how it works. And I'll illustrate it now. But if you go and actually study what the word means, it does absolutely include a change of actions, a turning around completely. It's a changing of what you're doing. And to illustrate that, let's say I speak to Dean and I say, Bru, are we going to go park run Saturday? And then Dean says, yes, we're going to park run. And then Saturday I arrive at the park run. I'm using him because he's always at park run, so just imagine. And I, I should have used myself because sometimes I <laughs> don't go to the park run. But let's say now, I say, Dean, we're going to go to the park run. I arrive at the park run on a Saturday. You know, that's where you jog five kilometers. And as I arrive there, I look around. There's no Dean. Dean's not here. 
And I phoned him afterwards, like, hey, Dean, why weren't you at the Parkrun? He would say something like this. I, I changed my mind. Yeah? Have, you, have, you heard, have you heard someone said, I want to go to the movies? And then you asked them, so what's the movie? Oh, no, I changed my mind. I didn't go. It just makes logical sense to us. What does not make logical sense is if Dean rocks up at the parkrun and he says, you know what, I actually changed my mind. I'm not going to do the parkrun. And he starts doing the parkrun. I'm thinking, Dean, <laughs> I don't know if you understand what changing your mind means. Because if you change your mind, you would actually have the actions to follow. It's not just I think different. If I think different, I'll act different. Does that make sense? So when we see repentance, God calls us to change not only the way we think about something, but to change what we think about something and to change what we do about something. To give another illustration, um, is not here this morning, him and Milan, and I, f- I think Elaine is there as well, right? They went to Bosov, they're leading worship there um, at um, His Love Church. And, uh, but for those of you that know, Reinhardt used to stay in General de Wet. It's a suburb you have in Bloom. So it's close to Builders, I think somewhere over there. Now the problem with General de Wet, the suburb is, it is a maze, for me at least. It's almost like going to Temba into Universitas. You just don't know where you are quickly. But I remember going to Reinhardt quite often. We would go hang out there. And almost every time I would get lost. <laughs> just, I j- and then eventually, but the first once or twice, I, I put the GPS on and I go, then eventually, you can ask my wife, right? This, this is, she, she's, I saw her laughing now. I would be driving and saying, well, you know what? I've been there before. Let me just, I'll wing it. I'm a guy. I'm, I'm good with directions, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Anyone that knows me is shaking their head. But now, I was driving, myself and Gabby, we were driving to Reynard's house, and then we were lost, like badly, uh, almost on our way to the traffic department. And, <laughs> and, and we, we were lost, and eventually, eventually I did this. Okay, I'm lost. Fine. <laughs> and I turned to Gabby, can you please get the GPS on? I humbled myself in that moment. You see, miracles do happen. I asked for directions. And I realized, so that, what happened is I realized I was lost. I told someone I'm lost to help me. And then as she got the GPS on, now we were, we were seeing that we really are lost. And then the GPS said, okay, well, take the next right turn and then the right turn again. We need to be going that direction, not this direction. Wouldn't it be foolish of me to go like, oh, thank you, and I just keep driving? I say, oh, thank you, I repent, and I just, it's like, it's silly. I would, I would change my mind saying, I am lost, okay, I need to change the direction that I'm going in, and then once I've got the direction I need to be going in, I go in that direction. I want to tell you guys, don't listen to these guys on YouTube that tell you rubbish about repentance. Repentance is something that's not preached enough in church, and in a lot of, like, especially in America, a lot of, even Hong Kong, and a, a lot of these mega churches, massive, all they say is, man, repentance just, you know, I once heard it teach, uh, taught like this, and God said, well, if you look at the word repentance, it means re and pent. Re meaning to do something again, or to return, I'm like, okay, makes sense, and he said, and pent meaning penthouse, that's where you get the idea of penthouse. So repent means you need to go back to your penthouse, like your high standing of Christ. I'm sitting there like, what are you smoking? That is not how, that is not how language works. 
And it's also not what the Greek means at all, not even a little bit. That's sucking out of your thumb. That's like ridiculous. I'm like, what? And then the challenge is, and I, I say this with all honesty, the challenge is you're sitting, you're, you're walking with Christ. And I know a lot of you guys, a lot of us, I mean, all of us, you know, 1 John says, 1 John 8 says, if you say that you're without sin, you lie, and then you've got sin. This is a bit of a, so we all, we've got sin that we're constantly dealing with. So now we're all wrestling with these things, and we feel bad. We feel like we can't enter into the presence of God. Then you hear a preach like that, and you go like, oh, I just need to think that I'm in Christ again. I just need to think that I'm in Jesus again. And they take action completely out of it. But repentance without action or without fruit is useless. It's rubbish. And I, I, I want to say that harshly. Repentance without action to follow is useless. Thank you, Tim. So that begs the question, who needs to repent? Because I've heard dodgy things said about this as well. So firstly, and the most obvious one is unbelievers need to repent. We see in Acts 2 verse 37, I'll read it if you guys. When they heard that this was a Paul, a, a Peter preaching the gospel in Acts 2. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, unbelievers, those that don't follow Jesus, they need to repent. If you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Jesus, you need to turn away from your old way of living and turn towards God. That's the message it's, we see in the Bible. You know, so far too often the, the message that gets preached is God wants to come and make you better and fix you. And yes, He does all those things. He comes and he, he fixes us and He loves us and He shows us that He's a Father. But He calls us to repent. Did you know that it's not even a New Testament thing? Repentance didn't only come through in the New Testament. God would constantly tell Israel, you need to repent. Turn away from what you're doing. And then after they repented, God goes like, yes, I like that. That is good. Someone still needed to pay for their sin. Jesus needing to come. But they still needed to repent. You cannot say you believe in Jesus and not repent. If you say you believe in Jesus and your way of life stays the same, you are deceived. That's how it is. Imagine this. Because, you know, the Bible says Jesus come and gives us a new heart. He makes us a new creation. I've got an orange tree here. Imagine it. And now, imagine Jesus walks to the orange tree and puts his hand on the orange tree and he says, he has made it now an apple tree. You would assume that they eventually would start being apples on the tree, right? Now, similarly, how the gospel works is Jesus throws out an invitation, and he says, believe in me, and I will give you a new heart. So we, we respond to Jesus saying, I believe in Jesus. I need to get saved. Then he gives us a new heart, regeneration. We, we, then we get born again after we've responded to, I actually need to believe in Jesus. And as he gives us a new heart, we repent. We go, you know what? I actually need to stop doing these things. 
But if you don't stop doing the things, I question that you really, that you really meant what you say, that you really mean what you say when you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Or were you actually just saying, I need like fire insurance? So the second group of people, believers that backslid. Believers that backslid need to repent. Revelation 2 verse 5. Remember then how far, now this is Jesus writing to a church that has backslidden, that it's like they're, they've lost their first love. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And this is Jesus calling, telling believers that has backslidden, you need to repent. I've heard it, th- I've heard it thought that, you know, repentance is only for unbelievers. So once you become a Christian, you're finished with this whole repentance thing. I've heard it said that, no, the Holy Spirit would convict you, and we'll look at conviction now. He will convict you, then you get saved, like you follow Jesus, and then He just kind of loves you and leaves you. That is rubbish. This is Jesus speaking to a church. Repent! Because look what He says. If you don't repent... If you don't repent, otherwise I will come. If you don't repent, I will come and remove the lampstand. So logically, the lampstand is still there. They're still, like, you know, at what point does he come and remove? I don't know. That's not what I'm preaching on this morning. The point is repent. And then the third one, that's kind of the same, but it's believers. Believers that sin. Third group of people is believers that sin also need to repent. In Acts 8 verse 18, well, you can put that scripture first, thanks. I want to, in, in verse 13 of this chapter, I don't have it up here, you'll read that Simon, this guy called Simon, is a believer. Simon has gotten saved. He has, he has seen God move. He has stuck up his hand for an altar call and someone has prayed for him. He's got baptized. So he is a believer. He's a Christian. He is in church, whatever that, however that looked for him. When Simon saw that the Spirit was, and look, this was quite a while that he's been saved. It's not like the next day this happened. This was quite a while. He followed the disciples around for a bit. So he was a, he was a Christian. That, let's say at least for six months. Just, you know. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. You're thinking, you, you Christian, can't be doing this. And I wonder how many of us, look, I, I've, had, I've had to repent of this before God. And Peter shaking his head. You see someone praying for someone else and something's happening. And you're like, yeah, I also want the power. I also want to see the stuff. Verse 20, but Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, pray to the Lord, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. He tells Simon, repent. He's a believer. And then he does something wrong, and he says, repent. And later, if we, if we would continue reading, you see, he does. Like, oh, shucks. How does this, we're not going to focus on his response. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 21. This is Paul writing to a church, a church of believers, people that follow Jesus. I fear that when I come 
My God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who have sinned before and have not repented. He's saying this to Christians. He's saying, I fear that when I come back, I'm going to look at you and you have not repented of the things you should have repented of by now. After um, moral impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality, and the sensuality they practice. If you go and read that chapter, Paul's saying like, ah, I'm afraid that when I come to you guys again, I'm going to look and say like, guys, the things we chatted about last time, you're still doing it. Because Paul knows the Corinthians. The Corinthians does what the Corinthians wants to do. And he says, come on. But look, we can go like, oh, stupid Corinthians. You're a Corinthian. That's, that's all of us, isn't it? If we're really honest with ourselves, we're like, there's stuff I like to do that I don't want to not do, you know? It's like, I don't want to repent of this stuff. And can I say this? There's this lie out there that tells you you cannot repent. You're thinking like, repentance, if God calls you to repent, that means you can actually repent. Far too many times I've ch chatted to people like, oh, I just couldn't help myself or I, I'm just really, I can't get over this thing. I'm like, no, you can. You probably just don't want to. That, that, that's the reality. And let's be honest with ourselves saying, you know what, I actually don't want to. That's fine. Let's work with that. But we've got this, you know, and I, and I think it came through a lot of reformed thinking saying, you know, oh, you're just so weak, you can't save yourself. Yes, but God tells the Israelites to repent and they actually repent. Before there was grace, before Jesus even came, the Israelites could even turn from the things that they did. They could remove their idols. They still were going to hell because someone needed to pay for them. But repentance, guys, repentance on one hand, it's not like God comes and he gives you repentance. So the reason you ha don't have repentance is because he didn't give it to you. No, you need to just repent. You might say to me, but Paul, it's not as easy. I know. But you can do it. You know, you speak, you know, you speak to someone, you know, oh, I, was, I was like up at two, and I was on my phone, and Instagram, and then, you know, next thing led to porn, and then, uh, you know, I just couldn't help myself. No, firstly, don't be awake at two at night, unless the book plays. <laughs> I understand. But firstly, don't do that thing. Secondly, if, you, if it causes you to sin, don't have Instagram. You know, you can remove those things, isn't it? I've, I've honestly, I've seen. I, you know, ask Peter. We were in Bible, you know, in Riku Westports as well. We were in Bible school together, and everyone wants to run for God until, until the, the price for following Jesus is, maybe you should delete your Instagram. Now, look, I'm not saying social media is necessarily from the devil. I'm saying if it causes you to sin, it's definitely from the devil. So then let it go. Jesus goes as far as to say, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's not like Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, like, oh, you really need your right hand. So uh, it's okay. We can struggle together. And, uh. He's like, no, cut it off. It's better to limp into heaven than to not go in at all. Like, you were really good. I'm like, now hear me, I'm not saying every time you sin, God goes like, oh, you're going to hell. That's not how it works. God is gracious, yes. But Hebrews is quite clear that if you persist in sin, 
There remains no more sacrifice. What does that mean? What is that point? I don't know. The point is this. Don't go there. Look, even guys that say, even guys that say you can't lose your salvation does this. If they see someone getting saved and following Jesus and then eventually they fall away from God, they'll just say this. Oh, well, he wasn't saved in the first place. Even guys that say you can't lose your salvation says, well, maybe it was, you know, because it's evident that someone stopped following God. The point is don't go there. I think it's quite a far, it's quite far for you to go before you actually would be cut off from Jesus, but don't go there. Because the moment you start allowing sin, it hardens your heart. And the moment your heart gets hardened, the, the more you want to sin. It's like a callus, the a, a yield. The more you've got an yield, a, a callus, the, the, the more numb it becomes there. So let's look at three aspects, just three aspects of repentance and I'm finished. So f- you know, you might be asking, okay, Paul, how do I actually repent? Repentance has three aspects to it. Firstly, it's got conviction. Secondly, it's got confession. And thirdly, it's got change. And if you do not have all three of these things, you probably didn't repent. If you don't have all three of them, not like conviction plus change. No, if you don't have all three of them, you probably did not repent. Because what happens, we, we go like, yeah, conviction, ignore confession, change. Yes, yes, yes. Because confession means speaking up. And speaking up means, what about what they're going to think about me? Well, then you're worrying more about what they're going to think about you than the actual thing that you're doing. Repent. And we'll look at some of these verses. So firstly, conviction. Let's look at conviction. You can go to the next slide. Thanks. I'll get myself a clicker next time and I can just click. Conviction is an inner knowing that you did something wrong. When a person sins and they are made aware of it by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts you. He tells you, he's like, he's like this judge that says, oh, you were wrong in that. Now, don't get confused if he convicts you, now you're going to hell. He just tells you, look, this thing was wrong. He points out to you that you should not have done that. This thing is wrong. And to simplify it more, conviction feels often like this. Is there something in you just, just goes like, I know this was wrong. I know this thing I'm about to do is wrong. And oftentimes what happens, if, if you ignore that small little voice long enough, ignore it for two, three days. All of a sudden, you've got 20 reasons why you're right and why it's justified. And myself and Gabby, we were speaking a while ago, maybe a week or two ago, about before we got married, each of us like liked other people, you know, because b- before we actually, you know, went into a relationship. And it's funny, for, for both of us, there would be someone, and we would really think, we, we would come to before God and say, God, is this my wife, you know, or for her husband? And then with, for both of us, we always felt this inner like, mm, no. But then because it's not the answer we want to hear, we would go like, oh, let me pray about it a bit more. Let me, let me, let me fast about it a bit, you know. Let me go. And then, because we already know that something is wrong, but I need a confirmation. <laughs> I need, you know, I need, you, Lord, you need to make it clear. And then we, we kind of just, it's like the callus starts to form. And then the conviction starts to go away. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not sensitive to hear it anymore. 
And honestly, like, for, you know, we, would, we would hear God saying no. We would ignore it, kind of, yeah, well, maybe it was God, maybe it wasn't God. I want to encourage you on this. If you think God convicts you of something or speaks to you on something, act on it as quick as possible. As long as it doesn't go against the Bible, and if it feels a bit risky, chat to maybe a leader or chat to your community leader, just bounce it off. But rather try and hear God than try and not hear Him. Does that make sense? I would rather have people going like, I think God said this. Let's say you've got five things that you felt God say. I'd rather have you try for all five and maybe have two of them be God than going, I don't know if it's God and not doing anything. Does that make sense? It's like basic statistics, you know. Someone once said, you miss 100% of the chances that you don't take. In, in a bit of a different context. But the, the point is, you miss 100% of the time. You miss God's voice 100% of the time if you don't act upon it. You miss conviction 100% of the time if you don't act on it. John 16, verse 12 to 13. Reads, there is so Jesus saying, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't be, um, bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will only say what he hears. And he will tell you about the future. This is the Holy Spirit coming, convicting us. Just in the chapter above, it, you know, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit would convict you about sin, about righteousness, and about the future, judgment. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8, oh, 9 to 10. I now, yeah, you, you can go to 2 Corinthians, the one back. Thank you. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. On the one hand, God is not in the business of just making you feel bad. On the other hand, God wants you to feel bad. Because the point of conviction is that you go like, oh, I was wrong. And we easily go like, oh, no, there's no more condemnation in Christ and I will not you know, feel bad. About no, feel bad. If God convicts you, it's okay to go like, ah, oh, ah, oh, messed up. It's like a grief. Because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed. This is not something you hear every Sunday, is it? Maybe here, you might hear here every Sunday. So that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. And I want to say this, worldly grief is basically condemnation. That you always just feeling bad, always just not feeling good enough. That feeling of, I'm just never enough. Great, you probably are never enough, but Jesus paid for you. But at the same time, godly grief is when the conviction comes like, ah, oh, cherish those moments. Because it's in those moments you go like, oh Lord, I've sinned. And you know what the problem is? I've, this is just my observation. You know they say that this generation and uh, up and let's say till 35, maybe 40, is that up until the age of 35, right, is the fatherless generation. That's what they call it out there. It's a generation with no fathers. And you see it amongst us. It's, and that is. And the problem is if you grew up without a father, you don't know how a father would treat you. You know, my dad was an excellent dad. He always said this, no matter what you do, you can come to me. I remember that one thing he taught me. No matter how bad you mess up, no matter what you do, you can come to me. And that thing helped me in my Christian walk. Because whenever I felt the Lord convicting me, I never felt he pushed me away. I felt him saying, come, you can come to me. Yes, you messed up, 
but you can come. I want to say this morning, God's not going to push you away. Come to Him. But He's going to show you your faults so that you can turn from them. Don't listen to bad teaching that tells you the Holy Spirit will never convict. The Lord will never show you your faults. It's like, just read any book in the Bible. It's like all over the place. I often find, honestly, I often find people that don't believe repentance are for Christians. They just, you just don't read your Bible. Because we know the Bible is the thing that's going to make me feel bad and makes me change. So let me just not read it, listen to a YouTube video, and then I think I'm still kind of a Christian because I do Christian stuff. We would rather avoid the thing that we don't like. It's like a child that doesn't want to eat his broccoli. Repentance. No. Conviction. Repentance starts with, um, with God showing you you are wrong. Don't, wanna, don't run away from godly grief. And don't settle for condemnation. The second thing is confession. So now God shows you you did something wrong. And it might be a big thing, it might be a small thing, but he comes and says, mm, you know, you remember when you, you were driving and had someone cut in front of you? You remember that? And you're like, I do, Lord. <laughs> Why? Because that wasn't right. And he convicts you. You remember when someone shared that testimony and you thought, oh, they're just doing it to get the shine. You remember that thought? That wasn't right. And you're like, oh, Lord, sorry. You remember that guy that became a calm leader before you? And you were thinking like, that seems not right. Because we, we do that. We judge one another, don't we? We go like, well, I'm better than him. My heart's better than that person's. We question one another's heart. The Lord comes like, don't do that. It's like you're witnessing for stuff. <laughs> Second one, confession. You can go to the next slide, thanks. Confession is the acknowledgement of sin before God and man. If you confess something, you just look, I've, I've did this. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, I'm just reading the scripture here, right? I'm just going <laughs> to read into it what you want. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. James 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Confess your sins one to another. Now, I want to say this. There is a difference between confession and repentance. Confession is a part of repentance. Confession is not repentance. The worst thing you can do is you're standing in worship and God is showing you that you, your heart, you, you know, there's something wrong. And now you're brave, man. You're going to confess this and you take the mic. Guys, I just want to repent. I, I wonder, like, I know, I know what we mean when we say, I just want to repent. But what we mean, what we're actually doing is, I just want to confess. The repentance happens tomorrow when you stop doing that thing. Because we're soothing our conscience, going like, I just want to confess that I did this thing, and I want to, you know, I want to repent of this. Sorry, I want to mention, you know, someone comes, I just want to repent of this thing. It's great. Look, I'm keen that we openly share. But now you actually need to change. Confession is just a part of. And I think the devil uses this thing saying, oh, well, you confessed. Well done for repenting. I don't know if you repented. I'll see you tomorrow. 
For instance, let me use this as an example. You're saying, guys, the Lord is putting his finger on me. He's saying I need to have quiet times half an hour every morning from 6 to half past 6. I'm just using it as an example, right? You need to hear God for yourself. And, you, and you're saying, I just need to repent for not having quiet times. And we go, like, oh, man, we pray for you. Yeah. You just confessed it. Tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, I'll know if you've repented. If you wake up at 6 or just before 6, you've repented. Well done. And then keep repenting. Keep bearing fruit. Psalm 51. Just to give you an example of confession. So this is what happens is David, the king of Israel, doesn't go to, I'm going to paraphrase this, so just follow me. He doesn't go to battle and, and he's standing at, in Jerusalem and he sees a lady. He's like, hey, nice looking lady. And he wants, and he, he sleeps with her. And then she becomes pregnant and he goes, this is a bit of a problem because she's got a husband. And now he calls the husband back from the army with the idea like maybe they'll sleep together and people will think that she's pregnant with her actual husband's baby. And then the man goes like, I will not sleep with my wife while the army is in the fight. No, man, no, that's wrong. I'm not going to, I'll wait. I'll come back when we come back from army, you know, from the warlock. And then David goes like, oh, okay. Send him to the front line so that he dies. And I'll just marry. So he commits adultery. He essentially commits murder. He literally says in, in Samuel, send him to the front line so that he dies. As he commits murder. He didn't do it himself, but he pulled the metaphorical trigger. Then, you know, he marries Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet comes and says, you've sinned. And the Lord convicts David. And David does this, Psalm 51, for the director of music, for the guy that writes the music songs, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He writes a song about his sin. To be sung in Israel for all the, like all the years, you know. The Psalms are literally the songs that they would sing. Imagine this. Albert coming next week. He's on worship. And he starts singing about his, how he has sinned this week. <laughs> it's it's going to be a bit weird. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Please don't do that, you know. But the point is, his confession is so extreme. He goes like, shout it from the rooftops. I've sinned before God. It's like, wow. Like, and you're thinking, sure, David, you don't want to be a bit wiser, maybe. Probably, but look. <laughs> That's his response. So there needs to be confession. And on a practical level, how I would suggest it, chat to a com leader. Chat to an elder. Chat to a deacon. Chat to your wife. Chat to your husband. You know, don't chat to a random stranger you don't even know. That's, you can if you want to, but chat to someone you know and say, hey, I need to confess something. And then confess all of it. Because where there's sin, there will always be more sin to try and cover it up. Confess all of it. And I, you know, we, we read about David being a man after God's own heart. And you read the things he does. He's like, yo, Gilly, you know, sleeping around. How is this a guy after God's own heart? Because he, he repents. When he goes for something, he goes for it. When he realizes he's wrong, he goes like, I'm wrong. And let's, like, everyone can know about it. And then the last thing is change. So what is change? <laughs> Just change. Is you do something else. You're not change, you get a checker. 
in Luke 19, verse 8 to, to 9, what happens is Jesus meets with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus essentially gets saved. He says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responds to that with this. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. So the guy meets Jesus, and his response is, I need to change. I need to do the opposite of what I have done. And this guy was, you know, he was taking money from people, and then he says, you know, I'll give it back. His whole thinking of money changes. His action on money changes. So what that means is if when God convicts you of something, you do the opposite. You, you like you go in the opposite direction. If God tells you, for, use this as an example, if God convicts you of road rage, thank Lord, but it really, and you might be saying, but Paul, you don't understand, it's really difficult for me to get over this thing. Like road rage especially, because road rage seems a bit like it just comes out, doesn't it? Like you're driving and all of a sudden, like, can I say that? You know, you know when road rage happens? Think of it. Go, I want you to consider your life. Consider your sin. When does road rage happen? Usually when you're late, isn't it? Because you're driving and like, you're like, you know? So the way that you repent of that, drive earlier. <laughs> I'm serious. Like if, if you're struggling with a road rage, understand where it comes from and do something about it. That's why people go like, I just can't like, get free of road rage and I can't repent of it. No, you can't. Just drive earlier to work. You'll, you will probably be calmer. That's just, that's how it is. I'm using that as a, a, a simple example. Or maybe you're in the worship team, right? So I'm, I'm just thinking of it on the spot. So maybe God is speaking to one of you. And you know you need to be better with your instrument. God's, this, is, this is not God telling you. And you're like, let's say someone's like, I need to repent. I'm not faithful with my keyboard. And she comes up and, you know, guys, I want to repent for not being faithful with my keyboard. And we're like, thank you, sir. You need to then practice this week. That's the point. The point of your repentance is resolving to do something. Going like, I will take 10 minutes every day or I'll take half an hour every second day. Whatever you do, you need to change. In this scenario, even if it's two minutes every day, it's kind of like already repentance. Because you're changing. You're, you're already trying your best to work on it. And David Pawson said this. To those of you, great oak. David Pawson, he wrote Unlocking the Bible, quite, quite a nice read. In the New Testament, repentance passes through three stages. Thought, word, and deed. Conviction, confession, and change. Therefore, repentance takes time. And when I read it, I was like, Isn't that's so beautiful, yeah? Repentance takes time. So I might be preaching on repentance and I'm psyching you up, we need to repent. And like, yes, it's a good thing because it's what God wants and you can repent. Come on, man. By the grace of God, he's calling us to repent and look more like him. And what does the devil do? Just whisper in your ear. You'll never be able to conquer this mountain. You know, growing up, I think a lot of you probably, especially if you're Afrikaans, you might have heard this, you know, as a saying, how do you eat an elephant? Happy for happy, sticky for sticky, piece by piece. The way, you, the way you eat an elephant, piece by piece, little by little, small change by small change. 
just make sure that the poll of today is different from the poll of tomorrow. And I want to use this as a, as a testament or an example out of my own life. I know last week I preached on serving one another and, and gifts and stuff. And uh, I remember asking one or two guys afterwards, look, how was the preach? He's like, yeah, it was all right. Like, well, not the best. Yeah. And I remember driving home. Oh, you can ask my wife. I remember driving home and I just felt the Lord convicting me. Like, I felt the conviction of him saying, Paul, you weren't faithful with preparing for this preach. I remember going, oh, Lord, I, I kind of, now I can do this. Like, I've, it's something I taught on a lot of, you know, I've literally taught on the gift a lot and serving. It's quite easy. And I felt, listen, you've not been faithful with the gift of teaching I've given you. And then you've not been faithful in preparing for it. Specifically what I felt him saying. Conviction comes. I remember, oh, it's like in the car, I just saw, almost feeling a bit miffed, you know. I was, I was just kind of like, I was grieved a bit. Like, I don't feel lacquer. I feel a bit like, ugh. I just, I just want to go sleep. I feel, ugh. It's not great to hear the Lord saying, you're not faithful with this gift. But then I said, okay, I'll do something about it. Voice note, send a voice note to, oh yeah, send a voice note to Adams. I think maybe one or two years well. They're like, hey, yo, I just felt the Lord convicting me. So now I'm confessing it. Like, you know, actually, I wasn't faithful of this, but I'm, gonna, I'm resolving to do better. I'm going to be faithful of this gift. And the, the great thing about confession is it helps you be accountable. Because if I, you know, now I confess to Gabby, now I need to be faithful with my preacher. So Tuesday, Wednesday comes, and I'm sitting there and doing nothing. She's like, remember, you know, Sunday when God convicted you? I thought, ah, oh, thank you. It helps me. So, you know, we need accountability. So I confess it. And in the change, I mean, have you ever seen me use a PowerPoint? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no. <laughs> yeah, next time I'll get a clicker. And the point is, I, and I, wanna, I want you to see this in me. I want you to see, look, I, I, I'm an elder, and I go like, oh, I need to repent. Shucks. I missed it. Right? And I, and I don't say this arrogantly, but if an elder repents, I'm sure you should also repent of something. Now, I mean, I want to say this. Temba also needs to repent of stuff. There's nothing I know of. I'm just saying, a guy, we all love Temba, let's be honest. Great oak. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you love Jesus. And I, honestly, you don't see this guy putting one foot wrong. You know what I mean? It's gentle. He's gentle. But even for him, he needs to daily go like, Lord, is there anything in me that I need to repent of? And I know he does, you know, that's probably why he walks like Jesus. Because he goes like, I'm not above sin. I'm not, not able, I'm like, Lord, help me. I want to say, if you've not been convicted in the last month about something, if you've not repented in the last month, and I'm saying month very generously, I wanted to say week, but <laughs> let's say a month. If you've not been convicted of something in the last month, I want to say, watch out. Be careful. Be careful. Your heart's probably hard. Be careful. Now, I've spoken to people and say, I, I, I can't hear the voice of God. Well, go back to the, the last time you've heard him. You'll probably find that there's something that you didn't do. Probably you'll, you'll probably find disobedience. If you're struggling to hear God's voice, if you're struggling to be convicted, or if you, you know, go back to the last time you heard him say something, and you'll go like, I never repented of that thing. I never changed that thing. And it's like the Holy Spirit is standing there waiting because we're busy now with this thing. And you can keep walking, but he's going to wait until we deal with this thing. Because when I just got saved, God tackled the big things. 
uh, swearing, drinking, drugs, you know, all the, uh, he, he tackles the big things, the obvious things. And then you think, oh, finally, yeah, oh, I just got rid of, I, I finally beat those sins. And then like a year or two later, you, it's like the Lord suddenly started to show you road rage. And you're like, I thought, I thought I was like doing okay. But the Lord is gracious. He says, okay, you're dealing with one thing. Now you repent of that thing. Okay, next thing. And okay, next thing. Do you know that the Bible says we're betro betrothed to Jesus? And if the Bible says we're the bride, we're, basically we're engaged to Jesus. We're not yet married. We need to take that seriously. And he's committed to us. He's given us the ring, the Holy Spirit. But we need to seriously prepare ourselves for when the wedding day comes. Don't go like, oh, yes, we're engaged. Just, I mean, I'm just going to use an extreme example. If you know, Quentin and Nikita, they're engaged. If Quentin moves to America, doesn't have a phone, Nikita's not going to go like, oh, we're engaged. We'll just, you know, there's, there's going to be a point where she goes like, He's not, I, don't, I don't know him anymore. I don't know where he is. I don't know, you know. We kind of break that engagement. Make sure that you stay close to Jesus. 